Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now, A Practical Path to Authenticity. This is your host, Christina Pratt. And I'd like to call in the ancestors. I'd like to call in all of those who are good and true and beautiful in my ancestral line and in yours. And all those who will download this show at any time and listen, you are all part of this circle. And I call out to our ancestors, those who lived well, those who died well, those who bring us the legacy of all that have gone before us. May we stand on their shoulders and go forward into the dream, co-creating what is necessary for the descendants who are calling us. I call out to the earth below. Our eldest, eldest ancestor, I call out to the earth and ask her to be with us here today as we launch this new venture in this new circle, hopefully with new people. And I call out for the earth to give us a place, to give us home, to give us grounding, to give us a place to belong together, to give us a place to dream together, to give us a place to act in this world and make it a good home for all living things. I call out to the earth energy to be with us here today and infuse us with that spirit of belonging together. And from this grounded place in the earth, I want us to raise our energy up and I want to call in the energy of the sky, reaching all the way up through the sky, through the atmosphere, through the cosmos, to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you call that energy, call it into your day, call it into our circle, call it into this conversation that we might be blessed that we might receive the generosity and the benevolence and the beauty of this world that we share, of this life that we share, of this miracle that is life. And may we be protected. We call out to all of these energies, drawing them down, bringing the energy of earth and sky together within us, that great alchemy of life as we know it. We ask these energies to dance within and make us strong and true. As we call out to the energies of the hearts, each heart, that binds us all here together, we call out to these hearts and ask them to open, to receive the passionate energies of your soul's true purpose that rides deep in your belly. We call out to the clarity and the alignment of the mind, and we ask these energies to merge together in the heart, that we might go from these proceedings today knowing ever more clearly our soul's true purpose. I give thanks to these energies that are present with us here today, holding our circle, that, when, that what needs to be said might be said and that we might hear what we need to hear. May the spirits help all that has meaning and value proceed with us here today. Welcome, everyone. Those of you who are new to the show, thank you for listening today and I welcome you to our circle. And I welcome those of you who have joined me here before in the circle. This is a, um, an old show in a new place. Um, For everyone, all of the shows, uh, this show, Why Shamanism Now, began in January of 2009. And all of these shows are archived. Um, They're 65 right now. They're all archived and available on iTunes. You just need to search for Why Shamanism Now, and they're all available free for download. For those of you that don't know me, my website is, oh, those of you that don't know me, my name is Christina Pratt. My um, shamanic practice is called Last Mask Center, L-A-S-T. M-A-S-K, 
C-E-N-T-E-R. And you can find my website at lastmasscenter.org. And you are welcome to email me here on the show at uh, Christina at lastmasscenter.org. In all of the shows of um, Why Shamanism Now, we explore some aspect of how we can apply ourselves to transformation in our contemporary lives. In particular, we look at how we can bring shamanic skills in and apply them in our everyday lives to create health and well-being and a life of meaning. So on our show here today, we're talking about two paths of true transformation. Um, but before I dive into today's topic, I want to honor and respect the fact that we certainly hope that some of you have never actually listened to me before. And so if I were a guest on my own show, this is the point at which I would ask my guest, so looking back, what are the pivotal, pivotal moments in your life that brought you to where you are today? So I'm not so much interested in the credentials of people's lives, but in the paths that they've walked that give them the experience to be able to guide others down similar paths. So I was thinking about this question as I was getting ready for the show today, and I realized that the pivotal moments that have brought me to a place to be able to talk about two paths of true transformation. Um, the first was working with a woman named Phyllis Pay, um, who is the creator of the Intuitive Energy Center in Berkeley, California. And when I was in my mid-20s and my life was a train train wreck, like most people are in their 20s. I mean, that's fine. That's what we're all doing in our 20s is trying to figure out what the hell's going on and how to do it better. Um, she helped me get to a place where I could consider the possibility that I had only one true responsibility and that that responsibility was to do whatever it is that I came into this life to do. Not that I had any idea what that was at the time, but just to entertain the possibility that that's what I was meant to do was a huge transformation for me. Um, this, of course, later resonated with what I came to understand as I learned about shamanism in the focus in shamanic cultures of each individual soul's purpose. Obviously, there's a real strong resonance there. But at the time, I didn't know anything about shamanism. Um, and at the time, it was simply important. What was important was the realization that being a good person and doing what I had been taught by my family and my culture and my religion to do, and that essentially being moral and ethical and upright in my life was not going to be enough. Now I understand that it never has been. There have always been shamans and mystery schools that have brought the tools for transformation into the lives of humans who have been willing to ask the questions. But that was the moment in my life that I realized I would need to learn how to transform. It's the moment that I realized being a good person and just doing the right thing was not going to be enough to support me in co-creating with my life, with the universe, with spirit, a life that would bring meaning and purpose a life that I would experience well-being, you know, good health, good spiritual health, good heart health, good emotional health. That's the moment that I came to understand it wasn't going to be enough. And what Phyllis taught me in her intuitive energy training 
was the basics of how to do the work of transforming my own internal energy. In particular, what I took from that was the ability to cultivate what I call a truth cord, an ability inside of myself to feel a resonance with the truth, whether or not I like it, uh, regardless of the ramifications of that truth on my life, and regardless of the source of that truth. So this, this work with Phyllis was truly pivotal and changed my whole orientation right there in my mid-20s. And uh, later on, uh, not too much later on, but later on, many, several years later, there was another moment in my life when I was um, deeply despairing. I was grieving. I felt that I had lost everything that I had spent my whole young, you know, 30 years of my life creating. I felt um, very empty and um, un unclear of where to go next. And I was on a beach in Hawaii, which is, of course, not a bad place to be having a spiritual crisis. Um, but I was on a beach in Hawaii, um, listening to the ocean, and I'd been swimming, and I was feeling the sun, and there weren't many other people there. It was a very secluded little beach. So I was in a, in a good place to be in a bad place. So in that moment of finding a place of peace, I guess, inside of my personal storm at that time, I reached into a bag of runes, a divination tool that had just come my way, actually, and I asked for the next step. Here I was bereft and in a complete state of loss and emptiness. And I reached into that bag and I pulled the blank rune. So here I am looking for a step to take, what to do, how to get out of this place of emptiness and loss. And the universe tells me, go to a place of emptiness and loss and nothingness. <laughs> and so looking back at that moment and that day, what I, what I realized happened is I was in such a place of bereavement so empty that when I, and I was so sincerely asking for help that when I got that answer, I did it. I stepped through my fear and went deeper into the feelings of loss and emptiness and lostness. And in that blank space, a seed was planted. And now at the time, all I knew is something had happened. I didn't know what it was. But over the years that unfolded from that time on that beach, a whole cycle of teachings has emerged. So it was in that willingness to embrace death more than I ever could have imagined at that funny moment on that beach that I opened up for part of my life's work to enter in. And it's part of realizing that, you know, the universe can't fill a cup that's full. And so it was that place of really trusting that answer and being willing to go with it that I learned to let go and let things happen. It's very hard to teach a 20-year-old that you're not in control of things, but you're not. And you know what? We're not really at any age. So the next pivotal moment that kind of brought me to this place here today 
would be um, I was dancing. I, I was a modern dancer. I was dancing in New York with Bill T. Jones, which was for me the pinnacle of all possible modern dance experiences at that time. And I was performing an enormous piece, epic piece that he created called Last Supper at Uncle Tom's Cabin. At the time we premiered the piece, I think it was over three hours long and was huge. Anyway, it was a piece about faith. And here I was um, manifesting this dream that I had as a dancer, dancing with the person that I wanted to dance with, big piece, big stage, big everything. And then I got dropped from the company as it went on tour. And I went into a very deep depression. And that depression was a real pivotal moment because, because of my experience on the beach in Hawaii, because of these other experiences that I'd had um, in my life up until that point in time, I, I gave up really in that depression and surrendered to something there I had never really surrendered to before in my life. And what came out of that was this spontaneous initiation experience, which is certainly not what I called it at the time. At the time, I had no idea what to call it. But looking back, because, of course, these are pivotal, mom pivotal moments looking back, looking back, what I realized is that out of this transformation came the skills um, for my shamanic practice, the skill of shamanic journeying, which put me into direct relationship with my helping spirits and from my helping spirits, the teachings with the seed that got planted at that beach in Hawaii with the helping spirits, those seeds were able to grow. And that ultimate, ultimately my healing practice grew out of that. And I came into my work in the world because of that moment of great depression and, and the paradox in that moment. And then I would say the next pivotal moment that sort of brings me to be here today was completing the manuscript for the Encyclopedia of Shamanism. Um, and it was many, many years, actually, until the book actually got published. So my point is not that the book got published. The point for me was completing years and years of research about shamanism and, and shaping it into words so that I could understand it. Um, it just happened to then get put into an encyclopedia, but it was really for me. And what I got from that moment of completion was this recognition that I now had a context, a huge context for everything that had all these things that had taken over my life. This whole weird shamanic path I was on suddenly had a context. All those experiences of death and transformation and strangeness in my life had context and that what I, what I drew from that context was also the understanding that the shaman's role, regardless of culture or time, the shaman's role throughout the ages is to be an agent of change. Well, actually, to be an agent of transformation. Let me be accurate. That every shamanic healing is the shaman looking at the energies as it is and working with this invisible energies of the, the spirit world, basically, to transform that person. And that often means facilitating the person before them to die so that the person who can live through this experience can be reborn. And so there's the shamanic healing is always focused on transforming the energy of the status quo. And to that end, shamans employ at, at a very high level the creation and performance of ritual to create change and transformation. So what comes out of this whole string of experiences is an understanding that there is a technology 
for human transformation. Yes, new things rise up. Some of them are really cool. And some things fall away. But what remains with us and what persists cross-culturally and across time is what works. And understand this. It is not what we want to work. It's what does work. And so that's what brings me back to today's show is, yes, these experiences brought me into shamanism through the work with spirit. I created a shamanic healing practice and have been teaching the technology of transformation now for 20 years. Yes, 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 yes. But the point of these experiences is they've brought me to a place of understanding the real technology of transformation. And while we are somewhat glib, I think, today, talking about, oh, yeah, death and rebirth. Oh, yeah, death and rebirth. As if we actually engage in that as a culture and understand it, it is not the only true path of transformation. And that's what I would like to talk with you about here today. So before I forge ahead, let me take a moment and just um, remind us all that we are live today. And um, we are with a new network, Co-Creator Network, and you are invited to call in. That call-in number is 512-772-1938. You're welcome to Skype in. And the easiest way to do that is just go to the CodeCreatorNetwork.com site and push the button. (laughs) And that will allow you to Skype in and ask a question. You are also welcome to email me. Um, at Christina at lastmasscenter.org. So if you have any questions um, or you want to inter- interact with the show, just feel free to contact us in any one of those many ways. Um, and for those of you that are new, this show, as well as all the other archive shows, will be available for you within the next 24, 48 hours on iTunes. And you just um, search for Why Shamanism Now. So I think that's all the logistics. So that you can connect with the show. We have a Facebook page for Why Shamanism Now. You are welcome to become a fan. And we strongly encourage you to share with your friends. And to, if you you are interested or excited or even just curious or annoyed even by what you hear on this show today, to spread the word so that we can help the show to grow. It is only going to grow um, through listeners like you deciding it matters and sharing it with the people in your life that matter. Um, So forging ahead to transformation. So the two paths of transformation we're going to talk about today, the first is transformation through death, death and rebirth. And the second path is transformation through love, which is not probably what you all think it is. So transformation through death. I happen to believe that my great successes in life have come through my weaknesses and my character flaws. (laughs) And what I mean by this is that my death and loss in life is just like yours. My suffering is not special. And I don't believe there's anything unique or insightful about my suffering that has made me who I am. There's nothing special there. What I gained from my experiences of death and loss was clarity about how to work with death, loss, letting go, and surrender. But how? If those experiences weren't particularly special, 
and I certainly wasn't particularly insightful at the time, how did I gain that clarity? You know, why? If those things weren't special, and I certainly wasn't special, why? Because I'm ornery. There it is. I demanded something for my pain. I have a serious ornery streak. I admit it. It's a big character flaw. But there's something to be said for orneriness. And I wanted something for my pain from my life. I wanted payback. That and, and I was willing to do whatever it took to get it. I was not about to feel bad again and again and again for no good reason. I wanted my pain to have meaning. And I demanded that of my life and thus of myself. And, I, and again, I was willing to do whatever it took to find that meaning. And this brings me to a motto of mine, which is simply get out of your own way. <laughs> and I cannot tell you how valuable that has been for me. So what happened for me is I gave it up, the pain, the suffering, the whatever, the experience, the whatever I was holding on to, I gave it up. I truly surrendered it. I, I actually, very uncharacteristically for a contemporary person, I let go. And in that surrender and letting go, I made a sacrifice. I sacrificed my own energy. I sacrificed my own suffering. I gave up these energies and remember, I'm only 20-something. I am dumb as a stick. So I'm not pretending I knew what I was doing. But looking back now, what I see is I was so ornery and so demanding of my life to give me something back for this experience that I went the distance. And I surrendered. And I truly let go. And I was truly willing to become someone else. If that's what it took to get something out of this pain, damn it. You know, I was really that way. And so out of this intuitive act that came out of pure 20-something desperation, utter cluelessness, and sheer orneriness, I was able to turn with the help of spirit, you know, my life, my own spirit, ordinary human suffering into transformation. So if we look at that, there's three things that are really important. One of them is not actually orneriness. <laughs> That's just what got me there. You can probably do it with somewhat more grace. But there are three things that are really important. One is I was willing to do whatever it took. I was willing to get out of my own way. At that point, I was pretty bored with myself. And so the willingness to do whatever it takes is an enormous piece of learning to really work with death to transform. The other thing about working with death to create real transformation is you must surrender. There is no rebirth from death without surrender. And surrender is not a place of acquiescence and grumpy resignation. Surrender is a place of spiritual, spiritually empowered, grounded, release and letting go. And so surrender actually means you have to let go. And any one of you, maybe you're at work and so you can't do this at work, but go home tonight 
look around. How much is there in your home or your apartment you do not need to be holding on to? How many cars do you have? How many houses do you have? How much clothing do you have? How much clothing do you have that you can't even fit into anymore? How much food do you have you're not supposed to be eating because it's, you know, you're allergic to it? How much stuff is in your house? How many old versions of the technology you're not, like how many old cell phones do you have? How much stuff do you have you haven't been willing to let go of? If you have physical stuff, then by definition, you are filled with emotional stuff you haven't let go of, mental belief systems, psychological stuff you haven't let go of, and a ton of spiritual ideas you'd be well advised to let go of. So to really be in right relationship with death requires all of these things. But most important in our really being able to work with death as the transformer that it is, it's important to understand there are no victims with death. There is only dead and alive. You cannot play the victim with death. You play the victim with death, this ally, this death and rebirth ally, death will turn its back on you and walk away. And you will be stuck with exactly the same life you have or just a new version of it. So in my life, I was angry. I was pissed off. I was frustrated. And I was often depressed as a way to get, a, get some relief from being angry and frustrated about my life. I mean, I was 20-something. What do you expect? But anyway, my point is I was not a victim of my life. And this is another thing Phyllis really helped me. Phyllis Pay really helped me to come to understand in learning to work with my energy. Is that we are responsible for our choices. We are not victims of them. This is also what, what really came through in that time with the energy teachings that Phyllis taught, that I am responsible for co-creating everything in my life, that I am responsible for it. I am not to be blamed for it by me or anyone else. But of course, it only really matters that you're victimizing yourself, right? It doesn't really matter if anyone else is doing it. So the issue here is, well, this is the way I come to think of it. Do we blame Michelangelo for his masterpieces? No, we don't. We honor him for his art. We honor artists for the masterpieces that they create. Your life is your art, whether you like it or not. You must honor yourself for that art and take responsibility. That is a very powerful and terrifying place to realize you have designed it all. You have co-created every moment. Now, I may not like what I've created. I often haven't liked what I created. But I must own my co-creation of it. I am not the victim of life. I am not the victim of my own choices. I am not the victim of the world. Right? I am a co-creator of my own life. And in that powerful place... I step right upside death. I am life. Death stands beside me. And we make sure I am living as if I knew I would die tomorrow. So with death, 
we are able then to look at our life, look at what we don't like when we've manifest something we don't want to be living anymore. Instead of being a victim of the situation, no matter how subtly or psychologically sneakily we are victims of that situation, we step up, we own our co-creation of it, and then we seek to transform whatever is necessary to transform within ourselves to create something new. Changing the external circumstances isn't going to do it. We must change the internal circumstances of the creator, his or herself, to create something new. So this would be just a good moment for me to do a little sidebar here and talk about the difference between change and transformation. Change is a lovely, wonderful, exquisitely beautiful thing. So is transformation. They are different. Change allows us to go back, and sometimes that's precisely what we need. Transformation is a quality of change from which there is no going back. There are very small transformations, and there are very big transformations. There are small changes and big changes. It's not about size or hierarchy or anything. It's about the fact. The fact of transformation is there's no going back. In other words, You can get new shoes and change back to those old tennis shoes. You can just change your shoes. But if you wake up in the morning with the feet of a duck, none of your shoes fit. There's no going back to the new shoes or the old shoes. That's transformation. And so that's what we're talking about. So for transformation, we need to cultivate a right relationship with death. And death as the ally, which is bandied about culturally, but you need to really be sure you know what that means. That means that you are approaching each day asking yourself, what would I do today if I knew I would die tomorrow? Is everything you're doing today that important to you? That you would do it anyway knowing you would die tomorrow? We must understand beyond death as an ally and this question that is a very good question to write beside your bed and wake up each morning and ask yourself. It's a very powerful question actually. But beyond that, we as contemporary people need to come to remember that we are in relationship with death all the time, every day. We are engaged with death every day. Things must die for us to live. And from a shamanic perspective, plants are even more conscious than animals. So for a human being to survive through a day, there must be food. Things die. Are you living in a way that honors the lives that were given to keep you alive today? Are you thinking about the world and other living things in a way that honors those plants and animals that you will consume today? Are you moving your emotions in life in a way that is clean and pure and exquisitely beautiful, that touches everyone that you meet in a way that enriches their life like water? Are you honoring all the water you will consume today and transform it through your being to stay alive? We are engaged every moment of the day with death. And that's the literal way. You are also engaged as the living with the ancestors. If you have fought in war, you are engaged with the dead. 
We, the living, are in relationship with the dead, whether we want to understand that or not. And it is through us that those who are not yet here, the descendants, are calling for the gifts, for the talents, for the things that need to be here in the world when they get here. We are always in relationship with death. And so the question is, are you living in a way that honors all the things that have given their life for you today? Are you living in a way that honors your ancestors and honors the descendants who are coming? Are you understanding your relationship with death? Not as something that swoops into your life to take things from you and leave you bereft, but as the ally that stands beside you in every bite that you take, any moment that you muse about why you are here, what is the dream that dreamt you into existence and who are the dreamers that are calling you? This is all about your relationship with death. And it is through a conscious relationship with death, understanding physically and emotionally and psychologically and spiritually your relationship with death, that you can truly be reborn, that any moment of any day can be a day of true transformation, large or small. And this is what it really means to be, to take death as an ally and to have a transformative relationship with death. The second path of transformation is a transformation through love. And usually after the big death talk, people go, oh, transformation through love, yay, kumbaya. But actually, (laughs) transformation through love is somewhat more challenging. And transformation through love is not about tantric sex. Although that is a lovely path of transformation or healing, and I am certainly not uh, dismissing that in any way. It's not the topic of the day, and it's not what I'm talking about in transformation through love. But certainly, go forth and enjoy that path. Um, I encourage you. But today, we're talking about transformation through love, which part of the reason most people never get to it is because you have to actually master some amount of transformation through death to even get there. Because... The transformation through love is the transformation of the enemy into an ally. And the transformation of the enemy into the ally will require many small deaths. Imagine, let's just stay here in North America where I am at the moment. Imagine the many small deaths that would have to happen for the Native American population, any one of the many nations here, and the U.S. population to right the wrongs perpetrated against each other and come into a reconciled and equally empowered and supportive co-creative relationship. The number of small deaths that would need to happen in that are countless. But the true transformation there, the true transformation you were just talking about on the show before mine, these true transformations of relationships that are in existence here today, you can't just go lobbing people's heads off and killing them. That's not transformation, right? The true transformation from the enemy, from the situation that is dysfunctional, that's the enemy, to the ally, the situation that is functional, is a transformation through love. And along that path, there will be many small deaths on both sides. So 
this piece, Transformation Through Love, is one of the main pieces of work that is brought out in my four-year training. How do we transform our shadow energies, which are definitely enemies and undermining our best efforts into the allies they were always meant to be? How do we transform the cultural idea of man or woman we have internalized and return to a natural state of yin, true yin and true yang and function with the wholeness of the Tao within ourselves and let that support us in moving from that original story of oneness with all things? How do we transform these relationships in our life with ourself, with spirit or God or whatever you want to call it, with um, our inner child energy, with our inner masculine, our inner feminine, these energies that are critical for our ability to function in the world, but our relationship with them has grown so distorted. We can't just glob off their heads. We can't just kill them. That's not good enough. We must find the enemy. We must meet the enemy on the enemy's terms. We must acknowledge, frankly, that it is an enemy and stop being so PC New Age correct. If your life is not absolutely exquisite in every single moment, there may be an enemy to transform who's waiting for love, and that enemy is you. And it's critically important that we take that teaching that comes to us from every single war people fight, that the enemy, I've met the enemy, right? The enemy is me. We must, and I'm not going to just kill myself, right? So this, this transformation through death isn't the point at that moment. It is transformation through love, and it takes enormous courage. Facing death is nothing compared to the challenge, the courage it takes to love, to truly, wholeheartedly love. This goes so far beyond pop songs and romance and all that stuff that didn't work out when you were a teenager. This is about asking you to step up in your life as an adult who has a heart and a mind and a soul and a body and you are not afraid to use them. That you have come here for a reason. And you are going to do that thing you came here to do. And along that way, you will need allies. One of them is death. But there are many, many others. And you can't just go killing everybody you meet because they're challenging. Those things that challenge you, those enemies that present themselves, are allies in disguise. Every single enemy of this country is an ally in disguise. Enemies are only allies we have not yet learned to love. And this is one of the most powerful pieces that has come to me through my work with spirit. Through my direct one-on-one work with spirit, with my clients, with myself, with my students, is coming to understand the incredible power of transformation through love and the enormous courage it takes to do it. So one of the first things is finding what is the essence? What is the essence here? What has become outmoded by growth or change of circumstances or change of understanding? So in other words, what is essential here to keep? What do I fight for? And what can I let go of? What am I really ready to let go of so that I can give more life to that which is of essence here? 
That's one piece of looking at the transformation of enemy to ally through love. The next piece, and this is the piece that is really challenging to teach because nobody wants to do it. And nobody wants to even come to the classes to learn how to do it. (laughs) And that is the piece of being willing to truly see the enemy within. If I were this enemy in my life, what would I be feeling? Think of how much compassion it takes to say, hmm, if I were that person in my work group, I cannot stand to be around. How would I be feeling? What would I be thinking? What do I believe? If I became that person entirely, embraced that enemy entirely, What would be motivating me? Who am I? Why am I this way? What does this feel like? And ultimately, as the enemy, what do I need? What do I need? This always comes back to need. And how do I then, as the compassionate, empowered, co-creating being that I am, open my heart to this enemy and give this enemy what it needs so that the enemy can transform. That's the essence of it. And I know it sounds really simple, but it takes enormous courage to do. How is that thing you outside of yourself that you are so certain needs to change? How is that actually the true central, essential transformation that needs to happen within you. Transformation through love requires that we truly see the enemy within ourselves and that we love it. For most, that prospects of loving that enemy makes embracing the fear and surrender look like fun. But we must cultivate, not only must we cultivate that right relationship with death, but we must cultivate a right relationship with love. For many of us, our relationship with love is stuck in all those places in our childhood where we didn't get our needs met. And our relationship with love now as adults is held hostage by this child whose needs were not met. And so to cultivate a right relationship with love, we need to grow up. We need inside of ourselves to embrace that enemy. The wounded child is frankly an enemy. We need to stop pandering to that wounded child, but recognize it for what it is, how it feels, to feel those feelings, and to give that child what it needs so that that child can be resolved in that unreconciled relationship with childhood love and grow up. And, and in that sense, the actual wounded child simply becomes the child, that fat and happy, trusting, awe-inspired, adventurous little tyke inside of each person that helps us go out and actually discover what we're here to do. But to get to that healthy inner archetype of the child, we must address the pain and the continued suffering of that wounded child within because it keeps us out of right relationship with love. How does that feel to think of being out of right relationship with love? For me, I can't imagine anything more horrifying. It's all about love here. 
It's all about the quality of our relationships. I can't think of anything more compelling for me by what motivates me in my life than to get into right relationship with love. And to do that, I must come to understand a basic truth that I was taught by the spirit world and I did not like it when they showed it to me. But the basic truth is this. Children do need love. They do need love. They can still grow up without it, but they need it. And that wounded child will continue to pursue that until it receives it. And of course, the best person to give it is you. But the point is, children have a real need for love. Without it, their growth is stunted. Adults need to give love. If you are an adult, in America, that means over the age of 18. If you are an adult and you are still pursuing love and acceptance and validation outside of your own self, then you're being motivated by your child that still has needs. And there's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't make you a bad person. But it means you're not in right relationship with love because you're still be, you, you are still out of right relationship with your inner child, with the wounded child. And so to come into right relationship with love, you got to love yourself. Got to get right with that little enemy within and ask him or her what she needs and give it and keep giving it until that part of yourself can be that fat and happy little kid going off to have an adventure. Bye, mom. Taking off on the bike. Going to be back at sunset. That kid has got to be able to have that awe, that freedom, that joy, that sense of safety in the world. And it's your job to give it to them. Because without that, you cannot grow up in your relationship with love. This is the bottom line. Sorry about that. But that's the fundamental teaching about love that I get again and again and again, no matter who the helping spirit is, including Kuan Yin, for those of you that are all new age about Kuan Yin, that children do need love. That is a legitimate need, and it is totally inappropriate for adults to corral their life around a quote-unquote need for love. As an adult, your relationship with love is a deep, passionate need to give it, to express yourself in the world, to give your true essence, your true nature out into the world. That is the need of the adult. And we come into right relationship with love when we address that inner transformation of the child, freeing it from the horrible place of prison, of having to act as this wounded child, just so we'll get it together, transform those old relationships and let that inner child be the kid it's meant to be so that we can grow up and be an adult and come into right relationship with love. I remember recently I had a really, 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 really bad day. No sleep, lots of stress, working really hard to break through this old pattern in my life that was really keeping me from being able to express on the level that I really felt I was at. Just breaking through what felt like miles of old coral, old dead coral. And I felt like I'd just broken through and it all collapsed back in on me and I'm no sleep. It was a bad day. And I thought, okay, then I'm grumpy and I'm wanting to just be snarly at people and I'm just cranky about everything. And I kept thinking, you are here to serve love. You are here to serve love. You are an adult. You need to stay in right relationship with love. Well, I don't feel very loving right now. So what? And I spent that day, whole day, 
just saying to myself, I have absolutely no idea how to do it in this moment, but my life is serving love. (laughs) I spent the whole day absolutely exhausted, frustrated, unable to do anything functional in my life, just speaking that little mantra all day long. I do not have the ability, the energy, the joy right now to do it, but somehow, some way, my actions need to serve love. And I just stayed as neutral as I could stay and just kept praying. And funny thing, how everything turned around the universe that night and everything started to fall back into place the next day. Not back into place, into place in a new way the next day. That willingness to understand that my that my place in that transformational process was past death. I'd already broken everything apart that could be broken. That it was to stay in right relationship with love and to love the situation, even though at that moment, in every single possible way I could imagine, it sucked. But to do it anyway, to love the suckiness of it. And to stay in that meditation that my life is serving love, even though in this moment I can't even see how that's happening. But my life is going to serve love. And in that way, allowing the forces of the universe to come to bear in my life to move through me and move all the little pieces around on the puzzle board so that everybody could be where they needed to be and start to fall into place in the days that followed. And I look back on that day and I think, wow, isn't it amazing how it's some of the suckiest days in our life can be the miracle days. And this is part of the grasping right relationship with love and the and the power of the transformation of the enemy into the ally is it's often in those sucky sucky moments in those times that hurt like hell because you're dealing with your own internal enemies and loving them anyway in spite of who they are you're not demanding they be different so that you can love them you're not demanding that they be safe you're not demanding that they affirm you you're not demanding that they accept you so that you love them You are loving them as they are, accepting them and appreciating them as they are, giving them what they need so that they are free then to come to resolution, to come to reconciliation and transform. So these are the two paths of transformation from which all other sort of paths of transformation and shamanic work evolve. They're the essence, the the archetypal patterns, perhaps, that all the patterns of ritual and transformation um, come out of in shamanic work. Um, Guess the point that I really wanted to make today about these two patterns, other than the fact that in my experience, there are two. And just going through life, trying to transform everything through death and rebirth is kind of like trying to get through life on one leg. I mean, you can do it, but it's challenging. And I recently um, was working with a student, exquisitely beautiful woman, really courageous and suffering through what I call course correction, which is a really um, simple way to talk about when you realize your life is really grossly off course and you're just screeching, you're just hanging on that wheel and bringing that vehicle of your life back on course, which means lots of stuff is changing fast, like jobs and relationships and everything you ever thought about yourself and a whole lot of other things. And bless her heart, she was hanging in there. She was holding on to that wheel and just dragging that vehicle back in to course correct at that point in time in her life. And this had been going on for a long time, like a couple years. 
It was extremely painful. And she called me one day in that process. And she said, very sincerely, she said, "I I don't know what else I can kill off, Christina. It's all gone. I don't have a job. Um, I'm soon not going to have a husband. I don't even want my old job. I don't even know what I want from life. I'm not even sure who I am anymore. I have killed off so much of what was in my life. I don't understand what spirit wants of me. What is left for me to kill? And in that moment, you know, as spirit moved through me, the response for her was, you're being asked now to stand up for your life to choose. There isn't anything left to kill. Give birth. Love it into existence. And this is the thing for us to understand is we can't just kill everything off that needs to transform. Some things need to be loved into existence. Sometimes we're done. Even even those deeply in a spiritual process, you're done killing off. It's time to decide what do you love and to build a life around that. And to allow things to continue to transform through love. And to let your relationship between life and death, and love and rebirth, to move as a quartet in your life. So I wanted to share a story today. A couple years ago, I was on a boat in the Arctic. It was an exquisitely wonderful journey to see, actually to see helping spirits. It was a big deal for me. But in the middle of this journey, I was having a conversation with some people at the dinner table. And these were people that had um, made a gob of money in advertising, just gobs of money in advertising and retired relatively young and were off traveling around the world making documentary movies about whatever they wanted to because they didn't have to work anymore. Isn't that nice? Anyway, so we were talking, and, and this man was saying about advertising. He says, well, advertising operates by manipulating a free-floating anxiety. And I thought, wow, how honest. What a beautiful way to say it, that there's just this free-floating anxiety that Americans, at least, he done advertising in America, generate, and that all advertising is doing is taking advantage of this free-floating anxiety. And so we talked about this for a while. It was a very interesting conversation. And being the little shamanic healer that I am, I said, so what would happen if the free-floating anxiety were gone? And he looked at me, and he laughed. He said, well, there'd be no more advertising. (laughs) And I mean, you could still hang up your shingle and say, hi, I'm Bob the Cobbler. But advertising as we know it wouldn't exist. And so from there, we segued into, he said, why would you even ask that question? And I started talking about my work and how really my practice with people is about helping them to dispel all of that free-floating anxiety. I mean, there's certainly reason for legitimate anxiety, like me having a new radio show on a new network today, a little anxiety about that. There's lots of reasons in life to have anxiety that would come and go. But to offer up this constant state of free-floating anxiety, we don't need to do that. And this, for me, is the gift of transformation. Is it allows us to notice these anxious moments of not being whatever. Am I not enough? Not this, not that, whatever. Notice those moments of false anxiety. And to look within ourselves and understand what needs to die here so that I can be 
confident and secure in who I am in this moment? What needs to be loved here so that I feel strong and free and able to express what I have come here to do? That we can, uh, we can step out of this this cloud of free-floating anxiety. We, or another way to say that would be we can pull our contribution out and dispel it. Like a cloud, it can be dispelled. It's just a cloud of free-floating anxiety. It doesn't need to exist. It's not even really real. And so the value then of learning to work with the tools of transformation is that we can dispel our part of this cloud of free-floating anxiety. And we can begin to be moved in life, not manipulated by these external forces like advertising, for one, to name one. But we can begin to be moved by that deep internal reason for why we are here. Once we start to get out of our own way, in other words, to kill off the parts of ourselves that aren't serving us any longer... And to reconcile the parts that are confusing everything by creating a strange interpretation of life, we, be, we can get out of our own way. Those are the two ways we need to get out of our own way. And we can come together and align with ourselves and begin to feel the deep and true resonance of who we are, why we are here, and what truly motivates us in our life. What is worthy of our acts of creation as we make our life art. So I want to thank you all for joining me here today. Um, It is a deep pleasure and honor to be with you. I give thanks to the ancestors for gathering gathering around us and holding us in good sacred space. I give thanks for the earth below and the sky above and that union of their love for each other and how we get to live here just as a complete and beautiful expression of that big love between the earth and the sky and be that piece of that miracle of life. And I give thanks to the heart in each one of you, my own heart, all the hearts, the hearts that unite us all. I give thanks to all of these energies for holding us here today. I want to let you all know that our next two shows are really exciting. Same time, Tuesday mornings or downloadable to listen at your own listening pleasure anytime you want to. But next week, um, we're going to have a very honored guest, Tom Cowan. And he's going to be talking about the Society of Shamanic Practitioners Conference in June. And this conference is presenting a new format and is going to focus on something the society has been working on now for several years, which is shamanism without borders. It's a very exciting idea. And Tom is going to join us from the board of directors of the society to talk with us. And then the week following, we're having um, Stephen Baer. Um, speak with us about plant medicines, plant hallucinogens, and their practices in shamanism. Um, and it is honoring um, his forthcoming book. So I hope that you will join us all next week and the weeks that follow, or join us through the iTunes, through the downloads, and continue to explore with me why we should bother with shamanism now to help us transform. Uh, to live our soul's purpose, and to do this with each other, enjoying shared well-being and prosperity for all. Thank you all for joining me today. 